Area 941 podcast are produced and distributed by Community Powered 94.1 KPFA Radio. Please help support Area 941 at kpfa.org. You're listening to Arabiyet with Linda and Soraya. I'm Linda. And I'm Soraya. I'm living my life From that old place in me Today our guest is Naima Shalhoub. She's a Lebanese-American songstress, performer, and educator. Naima's music works to empower women and to destroy colonial and institutional borders that reinforce oppression. Her upcoming album, Live in SF County Jail, will be released in December. Naima, welcome. Thank you so much, Lyndon Soraya. I'm so happy welcome. to be here. We're happy to have you. So tell us a little bit about where you're from, uh, where you grew up, and where your parents are from. Yeah, so my parents are from Lebanon. Um, they were born in, actually in Sierra Leone, but grew up in Lebanon. And me and my brother were born in actually California and ended up growing up in upstate New York. I then made my way back to California after, uh, yeah, several decades of a journey of being alive. <laughs> and now I'm in, uh, I live in Oakland currently um, doing music and teaching. I'm just curious, how did your parents, Lebanese, end up in Sierra Leone? I never hear that usually. Is that common? Are there communities yeah, there? Yeah, there's a lot of Lebanese in Sierra Leone. And, um, I mean, they definitely grew up in Lebanon for the most part, but there's several stories that are at play in my family of how they ended up in Sierra Leone, but basically um, my grandparents or my great-grandparents uh, ended up going to Sierra Leone for... Their, at post-World War One. there was definitely a huge influx of Lebanese into Sierra Leone because there was a famine um, in Lebanon and there was people trying to leave the country to you know figure out how to survive and that kind of diaspora story that happened. So Sierra Leone was one of the places my family ended up. I'm not exactly sure the details of that, but... Um, yeah, so several generations have been there and continue to be there. Actually, I have more family there than in Lebanon, but definitely Lebanese culture is, you know, continues to be passed down. And of course, people still in my family live in Lebanon. And and then there's me and my brother who were born in the States. So, yeah. So you did a TEDx talk in Beirut. I did. And you mentioned that uh, you had taken a 10-year hiatus before you came back to music. What was that journey like? I grew up actually very heavily involved in music. Um, I mean, also sports and other things. But um, my parents uh, had me take piano lessons when I was four years old. So I played music on and off from um, I mean, piano on and off from four to throughout high school and started singing in about elementary school. And in high school, singing really became my passion. And for whatever reason, I really just kind of put music aside. I think that at the time it was hard to name why, but hindsight, which I talk a little bit about in the TEDx, 
there was some a block in me in terms of pursuing my passion. There was something that did not allow me to actually go for what I wanted because of social conditioning, other things that were, uh, you know, that I was just holding on to in, in myself, in my memory, in my body. And I just didn't really take it seriously, even though it was something I deeply wanted to nurture. I didn't allow that to really come forward until years later, which I reference also um, learning about postcolonial anthropology and learning about um, these social structures, naming um, violences, systemic violences, and how they take root inside ourselves. And so music, unfortunately, in that time was kind of a, um, just pushed to the side. And I didn't allow that form of expression and creativity until later. Is that something you think that because of your Arab upbringing, because, you know, usually Arab kids are pushed to do something that would, you know, make money, make profit, Mm. like engineering, doctor, lawyer, etc. Did you feel that pressure or was it just an internal? You know, I think I I think I did in some ways, though. I will say my parents have always been really supportive of me um, doing music and the arts. I actually started college with a music scholarship, but I just wasn't feeling it. And so, but I also think that it's important to note that there is still those pressures. And yeah, I was, I ended up changing my major to marketing, you know, so Mm -hmm. from music to marketing and several other majors until I, you know, I ended up studying English and writing. So that kind of started slowly helping me come back to creativity. But I definitely was impacted by that pressure, of course, to want to, um, you know, do well by my parents and knowing the struggles that they went through growing up and coming to this country uh, there. I think that really most Arabs in some way, shape or form are going to feel that like, okay, then I need to do better. I need to do well by my family. So I think that was definitely in there somewhere for sure. Was there like a particular event that triggered your desire to return to music? And also was the form of expression in music that you took after you started again, after your tenure hiatus, mm-hmm. uh, was that different than your initial uh, musical endeavors? Yeah. Um, well, so what basically started uh, helping me sing again, um, I mean, it was definitely not one event. People kept coming into my life that f- that found out that I was a singer and would, you know, like, please sing and force me to sing. And it's funny because it felt so awkward at first. And thinking about that now, it's like it comes so naturally. So it just goes to show you how much I just totally did not accept that part of myself for a very long time. But it was really studying I it, within the post-colonial anthropology program. Uh, we did a lot of studies around um, race, uh, race studies, gender studies, and really studying a lot about third world and um, women of color feminisms and hearing the way Audre Lorde, Nawal El-Sadawi, gosh, Angela Davis, Bell Hooks named the intersections of race and gender and specifically Audre Lorde for me because the way, and Gloria Anseldua actually as well, the way those two writers and poets were able to name the struggle that women of color uh, hold onto and are embodied by a certain uh, systemic violences that we just inherit, was seriously woke up so much in my soul, literally. I, I remember even one class, I just started bawling one day and I had to leave the class. So there was something really spiritual, somatic, in addition to kind of the theoretical understandings and political understandings I was coming into. And um, that alongside of a, a very dear professor mentor of mine, Angana Chatterjee, uh, who was really a, a 
life like she was really life changing for me seeing how um she's of indian descent and just such a fierce and one of the most brilliant people i've ever come in contact with seeing how she carried herself and she also would encourage me every time we had some gathering like please sing like sing and so it was kind of these intersections and and various events along the way and i actually finished my masters i decided to do one semester of a phd program and i it was around that time where i basically needed to just um stop with school i was going through a lot personally I, it was around that time there was um uh gaza un- unfortunately there was another you know um incursion a, yeah, yes yeah. of in gaza and a lot happening in our community a lot happening personally and i just kind of shut down and i had a breakdown and i said you know i need to just quit everything figure out what i'm going to doing i ended up buying a one way ticket to beirut not knowing when i was going to come back so it was when i was in beirut around 1 2 months into it i ended up bringing a small ukulele with me from the states just so i could have some sort of like instrument to but it was very more of a personal thing and as the a couple months went by i started really meeting a really cool group of friends and was going out more becoming more social and really and ended up meeting a lot of musicians and drummers and so i was like oh, this is so interesting i keep meeting all these artists like what's what's going on it was one night at a cafe bar in beirut It was around two thirty, three o'clock in the morning. I had my ukulele with me, and the owner of the pub turned off the music and announced, and like announced into um, not a microphone, but loudly, "Okay, everyone, Naima's here. She's my friend, and she's gonna sing everyone a song." And I was like, "What?" Mm-hmm. You know, and I hadn't really performed, quote unquote, publicly in years. You know, just like like I said, school events, and I started singing a Spanish song and. randomly um it was in that moment where i just everyone was looking in the crowd and everyone was looking at me and i was just i i had this completely spiritual experience and i ended and everyone was coming up to me like why don't you do this professionally and i was like why don't i do this professionally like what am i doing you know <laughs> this is where i come alive and so shortly after that i decided to come back to the bay and then just start pursuing music not knowing what that was going to look like but just trusting the fact that like you know there's something deep in my gut and in my soul that is calling me to do this and so that's what happened your approach is quite different from a lot of other musicians who their aim is superstardom and your work seems to be more about uplifting people in what way do you feel like as a musician you wish to contribute how do you define yourself as an artist mm I love Nina Simone's quote when she says an artist's duty is to reflect the times and that mm-hmm. deeply re- deeply resonates with me. I think if my music doesn't have a message, I I'm not as inspired. I mean, I love singing. I love the the skill that's built and the capacity that's built musically, but I it's it's intrinsically married for me. to some sort of message of of upliftment and freedom. It's really that freedom component for me, that consistent ongoing practice of freedom and and um struggle for liberation that music it, it becomes my sanctuary and it becomes um an expression that's tied to not just survival but being alive. And I I can't imagine it any other way for myself. As a non-black Arab, Why do you feel that it's important for Arab Americans to be vocal about issues that, you know, plague the black community and other communities of color? 
I think that, well, let me back up a little bit. So um, before I left for Lebanon, I was very involved in the Arab, Arab American communities of community organizing and social movements here that are building in the Bay and continuing in the Bay. And so that justice, social justice component in my life was always very strong. So when I came back from Lebanon and wanted to pursue music, the the justice and freedom component in the music, like I mentioned before, was very much rooted in that. And so although I wasn't as formally involved in or in community organizing, being being an Arab woman, I mean, I, I couldn't separate myself from, from social movements and things happening. And that was directly reflective in a lot of the songs that I was writing. So being uh, a non-black Arab, I, I feel that, uh, well, first of all, as a, as a woman of color and as a woman of color with histories and legacies from the global South, there's solidarities that it's necessary to be built with the black American community, me being an American in this country. It's like, how can I, what does solidarity look like? It doesn't necessarily mean that we have to have the same histories or appropriate each other's histories. But how can my voice be used to uplift the voices and the needs and concerns of my black brothers and sisters here? So what does that look like working in tandem with each other? So especially in last August, when the attacks on Gaza were happening at the same time as the Ferguson uprisings, it was just so clear, I mean, on social media, in their in personal lives, just what the connections were there, even though, again, the, the histories and the context are different. But the solidarities were really strong because they were experiencing similar violences and systemic violences. So um, the song I wrote about Ferguson and Gaza was, was a direct reflection of that. So can you talk a little more about your song, Ferguson Gaza? Did you write that? very shortly after the events in Ferguson? Yeah. I Yes, I wrote that song while everything was happening. It was just my blood was boiling. I was overwhelmed with grief. And also, you know, overwhelmed with sitting with what does one do with the fact that, you know, the, your privilege is also just so blatant. You know, here I am in my nice, comfortable apartment and not having to deal with any of that, but yet a part of my spirit and soul feels so connected, you know, because historically, you know, it it just the connections there. So I literally sat at my uh, computer and just wrote out the lyrics. It just like came out of, of of a very deep rage that I that I felt. And then later on ended up putting it to somewhat of a blues progression and uh, ended up performing it at the sound room in Oakland where I had one of my shows and that's where the recording that I have is from recorded live at the sound room there. With the 16th Street Church and Medgar Evers' memory And Gaza turned gray from the ashes of apartheid They don't care they're killing children Cause they own the devil's side So your work at the uh, SF County Jail, did that stem out of that? 
or did that happen before? No, I started doing that work well before. I, I, I came into really being interested in learning more about the prison industrial complex and the effects of that on our lives and communities uh, probably two years ago, a little bit over two years ago, and inspired by people. Well, obviously, Angela Davis, she's just been one of my t- informal teachers in terms of me just really uh, reading a lot of what she's written and listening to her speeches. But also Rodessa Jones. Rodessa Jones is an incredible, incredible, powerful artist who um, founded the Medea Project Theater for Incarcerated Women 25 years ago, and I had the opportunity to work with her several times, and she's become a a dear friend and a mentor to me as well. Marcus Shelby is a dear friend of mine. He's a bassist and composer that also started doing work around the prison industrial complex, using blues as a form of that expression. So many artists, you know, and so it started planting the seeds for me of, you know, I'd love to go in and sing because given that my music has this message of freedom, what better, sorry, that's not quite the word, but uh, what better place in a sense than to sing in a place of confinement in in isolation and the, the direct contrast there. So I started asking around and I was put in touch with a woman by the name of Angela Wilson, who's a staff member in the SF Sheriff Department. She actually works with Rodessa Jones doing theater. They've been working together for 16 years. I didn't know that until later, though. And she's a program coordinator for one of the pods in the county jail. And she, I pitched to her my idea, and she loved it. And so before I started doing the weekly sessions, and mind you, I didn't know how long I was going to do this for. I just kind of had this idea I wanted to do it. There was a Mother's Day celebration they had in 2014. She said, you know, before you come in and meet some of the women and, and do your first workshop, why don't you just come in and sing some songs for our ceremony and you can meet some of the women there? I said, great. So it was the first day I'd ever been in a jail. I had my ukulele with me and that's it. And they were going around and um, going around and each woman was to name the uh, women in their lives in terms of their mothers and grandmothers and if they had any kids. And so it was so beautiful to see 40 incarcerated women talking about the women in their lives and their own legacies. And so after that really set the stage and after that I sung for them. I sung Billie Holiday's God Bless a Child and I sung Sam Cooke's Change Gonna Come and I believe Summertime. And it was just an instant connection I had with these ladies and just them coming up to me just saying, thank you so much just for taking the time. And I could see the sincerity in their eyes and in their disposition. And I ended up staying there for two hours and we just hung out and played some music and it was powerful. And one woman actually said, you know, Naima, this is the happiest I've ever been in. I've been in here for two years, haven't seen the sun and hearing you sing just made me the happiest in two years. And I was like, wow, you know, this is not to be taken lightly. No, I don't think it is either. And I think your your work will live on with them, I'm sure, for a very long time. Can you talk kind of about like what your impressions were and what changed when you when you started working in the prisons with the women? Mm. Well, there the I mean, the way the way it's structured is that you never forget who is, quote unquote, free and who is, quote unquote, captive. And that that line is very much entrenched in the way the system works. So, you know, even the using the term inmate and civilian, which I refuse to use, you know, I, I just, I, I refuse that kind of binary. But that was something I was really struck with. You know, also, 
the the various levels of security, the cell doors, and looking at some of the cells where people weren't allowed out. It, it's a heavy, heavy environment, and not just that, but the the every woman is coming in with a different story, and just to feel the the pain of being removed from your community and isolated in such extreme ways is uh, just that first time I was hit with all that. I myself always have questions about like the realities of prisons and like a lot of the shows that come out about prisons and like how accurate it is. And it just it's just a whole other world. And I think a lot of artists who is that artist who performed a really, really famous artist. Oh, Johnny Cash. Yeah, Johnny Cash. That reminded me of the work of Johnny Cash. Did you at all come across that like his stories of prison? Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, Johnny Cash and B.B. King, too. And um, there's several, several. Uh, blues artists actually in that same time frame did pr- uh, prison records. And so I knew it was a possibility. And it wasn't until around six months into the work, you know, I, I so I started going in every Friday and for an hour facilitating these music sessions with these women. And that looked like very, you know, different every week. Sometimes it was just me singing because they were more in a quiet mood. Other times there was a lot of social energy so we collaborated together and uh, I mean even just last week I invited a guest uh, blues jazz guitarist Terrence Brewer and he came in and we in that one hour ended up writing a blues song the ladies wrote their own blues song and so we we do stuff like that and also lots uh, sometimes the sessions are more somber just wanting to cry wanting to talk about how much they miss their kids or their families or their lovers or you know whatever it is or uh, being upset with the system and how stuck they feel and how they don't some don't feel like they have a voice others do so there's differences too in opinions and things like that so as that started continuing, um, actually, in so when I, I was in Beirut last summer for the TEDx talk and stayed for two weeks, and on a plane, I met this amazing woman, Yasmin, who has a record label there, and we just hit it off on the airplane, and I was actually going to Jordan to visit my, my sister, Nadine, and we exchanged information, she said, well, before you go back to the States, let's meet up. You know, I want you to meet my business partner, and let's talk about your music. I said, okay. So two days before I was going to come back to the States, I went to their studio, played some music for them. We were talking, and I was talking about the work I do in the jails. And they're like, Naima, why don't you just record your album in the jail? Like, halas. Like, it seems like this is where the, this is where the soul is moving for you. Like, this is, this is what life is bringing you right now. Why don't you do that? And I was like, it's so interesting you say that because that's been kind of the, in the last couple months I've been envisioning doing that but just not really knowing how or wanting to dismiss it or no, I need to do a studio album. You know, like most people, like who am I to want to record my album in a jail? Like, you know, what is that? (laughs) But they totally validated and I respected their artistry and their business sense. And also too, I think it was really special them being Lebanese and being in the context of Beirut, having this conversation. I went back to the States like this is what I'm doing and they really pushed me to do it. And so I shout out to um, to Ra'ed and Yasmin with um, Let's Play It Records. They're amazing. So, yeah, I came back and I immediately talked to Angie, the woman who works in the jail. I talked to um, yeah, the sheriff department and they approved it. And one thing led to another. And so May 5th of this year, we did the recording. And and that's coming out in December. It's coming out. Um, the official date is December 1st. Great. We're mm. looking forward to that for sure. Thank you. I just wanted to ask you, as a performer, 
when when you're performing for the women in the county jail, how does your energy differ from when you're performing to just a general public at a venue? Mm. During the recording, um, Nura Arakat was there, and she uh, ended up reporting, and, and um, we, we did a really cool uh, interview with each other. But I, using her words, she said it felt like rather than any kind of charity concert or some sort of just regular concert, she termed it a solidarity concert. And ever since she said that, it resonated with me, and I feel like every time... I sing for uh, women or anyone who's incarcerated, it feels more of like an act of solidarity than anything else. So it, it changes what songs I choose to sing, and it changes even the, the spiritual aspect of it. You feel, you feel this depth, and you feel this, this haunting of voices that have not been heard, and literally singing through the prison walls is this theme and this phrase that keeps coming up to me. And it's it, it's, it largely feels like it's music that's haunted by, by sorrow, by impossibility, by injustice, but also by possibility and also by, by naming resilience and, and a, the agency. These women have agency. I mean, if you come into my music class, other than the fact that they're in orange and I'm in you know, regular clothes and we're in this room and you look outside the room and you're in a jail cell, you wouldn't realize that they were incarcerated because they become free for that moment. You know? And so uh, recognizing, too, their agency. But singing, singing for incarcerated folks has taught me so much about what, what solidarity means and what soul music means. Soul music is music that has come from sorrow and it and it also expresses joy it's that um, marriage of the binary and refusing a binary and allowing this potential of freedom to come through and so it's taught me what soul music is in a sense as well seeing what they resonate with and how i sing uh they're teachers for me every single time when when the women are singing because i saw the video and women start singing with you and how do you think that their singing gives them agency Mm, well, this whole idea of the cage bird sings in Maya Angelou's poem. And it's funny, I, uh, well, it's not funny, but I, I brought in that poem one day for class and we talked about that poem. And we taught, and, and one woman kind of started the discussion, well, I think that poem's really sad. And I was like, why? And she was like, well, you know, the bird doesn't have a voice. I don't have a voice. And another woman actually spoke up saying, no, I disagree with you. I feel like I do have a voice. So from it, it's this constant conversation of who has the voice and who's listening. And so the singing, I think, for that moment, uh, there might be a sense of we do have voice. They do have a voice and she has a voice. And I mean, it would have to be very specific and, and personal to, to ask each woman. But there is this sense of for that moment, there is an empowerment to sing out. And especially with Keep Your Eyes on the Prize, there's a part where we're actually singing. The jail doors opened and we walked right out. And there's a call and response where I'm singing. The jail doors open and they respond and we walked right out. And to sing that together inside a jail house, I will never forget for the life of me. It was probably the most powerful moment I've ever experienced. And um, some of that is captured on the recording. Hold on, I said, Paul, then silence began to shout. The jail doors opened and they walked right out. I said, the jail doors opened and they walked right out. I said, the jail doors opened and they walked right out. I said, the jail doors opened and they walked right out. 
you know, in talking about all of this and how your work with the women in the county jail and just in general being an artist who works to uplift, do you think that other artists should have that same responsibility? Like, I know recently a lot of more mainstream artists have been getting a lot of flack from the public for not speaking out about the issues that are ha happening in regards to black men and women getting killed by police on a regular basis. And, you know, a lot of these really big name artists just staying silent about it. Do you think that there's a responsibility? I mean, you quoted Nina Simone talking about how, you know, how can you be an artist and not reflect the times? And that is something you feel responsible for yourself as an artist. Is there a divide between the mainstream artists who are just there to entertain and then everybody else who's really trying to make meaningful work? I will say there's a difference between being uh, solely an entertainer and being an artist. I feel like there is a big difference. But I also feel like there's a lot of crossover. And for me to define art as only being something that is people singing about Ferguson or something very current would be really unfair because there's other communities and other struggles that I don't even know about that I've never sung about. So to kind of, for me to kind of have very limited parameters around what I feel like artistic expression being in line with social injustice should be would really limit art and it would, it would become very didactic and it would be like quote unquote protest music, which I, I don't necessarily feel like that phrase resonates with me but I do feel like if art allows us to truly feel what's present in the world and if what is present is that injustice then it's gonna just show it's gonna show up in the music and I think this is maybe a longer conversation because I also feel like singing about love artistically is also necessary you know so I there there tends to be I think a lot of judgment in the quote-unquote activist communities in some parts of the activist communities where there's judgment about what should or should not be uh, radical art and I don't really want to be part of any of that because I feel like art needs to be free and liberated but I think it's a longer conversation of maybe what is art and what is entertainment and what is what is social justice in that which would if I were to have the conversation responsibly I think it would take a longer context setting for that if that makes sense yeah no it's true do you feel like you've so far you've reached your goal as far as what you expect out of yourself as an artist do you feel like you've reached that level I think I've reached certain goals but I hope that I never really arrive. I hope that I'm always striving for more and I hope that there's never really a cap on my own growth and development. And I, you know, I have this dream, this current dream in the next year to want to be doing a, a U.S. prison tour and in the same places of visiting those jails and prisons, also playing in public venues. So to kind of have this idea of borderlands and this sense of inside and outside and how can music interrupt that notion of because um, of course I want to play in the nicest venues like anyone else and and to enjoy that process of concert halls and venues like that and then also really wanting to continue and grow the work of sharing music in juvenile halls and in jails and in prisons and what could that look like as a tour of having two such contrasting experiences of sharing music and so that's something in the next couple of years I'm going to be just continuing working toward. But, you know, when that's done, I'm going to have another vision and dream. And I hope that never stops. And um, I hope I just get to 
continue to to grow and be surprised by where life takes me. You're, you seem like the, a lot of your inspiration and the, the legacy of music that you are continuing is African-American performers. And maybe that, you know, that's the ones I've heard you reference. Do you have any Arab inspirations, Arab musicians or? Yeah, no, I grew up listening to Fedus and often I'll, during a a live set, I'll sing. Um, and in fact, I've even sung it in the jails, Habaytek Besaif. I love singing that oh, song. Beautiful. <laughs> and, um, you know, I listen to a lot of Um Kaltum and I love Ziad Rahmani's music. There's a lot. Um, and, you know, Mashru Alayla who are coming here soon. You know, and collaborating with um, eccentric Tariq Azeli has been really, really amazing. And he's he's a dear brother of mine. And, you know, we have these conversations a lot of, uh, you know, what it is to be American and Arab and how does that inflect and how does that reflect in our musical styles. But it, it definitely shows up in, in even the Ferguson Gaza blues. You know, I, there's an oud playing because I want people musically not just to think about the blues in the American sense, but like an Arabi blues. You know, there's certainly it's a, it's a different history. It's a different context. But there is so much of um, Arabi classical and contemporary music is their sorrow songs, you know, their songs of 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 wanting a way out, and and of course all the love songs as well. But um, I try to kind of mess with that and involve Arabic instruments when I can, and also being inspired by those artists that I mentioned and, and others as well to kind of infuse in into the music. So in addition to drum kit and um, bass, either upright bass or electric bass, and guitars and keyboards, I really like to have the oud, either the oud present, the tabla present, or the violin, but like Arabi-style violin, because having those instruments present also makes present a different sound that points to a different um, history in a different place, which allows me to then also, you know, talk about my Arabness, you know, whatever that means. And you'll see that in, in actually most of these songs, especially Keep Your Eyes on the Prize. It's Tariq Azeli. It's a three-minute uh, oud intro over a civil rights song. So I thought that was, um, it's an interesting musical conversation that I like to have in the music. And I, I would like to pursue that in the future, like a conversation about how instruments inspire you in different ways and express different mm. sounds, and, but not not today. <laughs> yeah. I know you're a singer, and I know you played the ukulele because I saw you play it, yeah. and that was great. Baritone ukulele. Yeah. <laughs> so do you play any other instruments? I play piano. It's oh, okay. not something I really perform with, but I write a lot of my music on piano. Oh, okay. And what would you say to young Arabs who are afraid to go into artistic occupations or or just take that that risk that we're kind of not encouraged to take even me in radio you know my mother did not encourage me to do this and she's just starting to get used to the idea i i want to encourage arabs to be to take those risks what would you say to them as someone who's definitely done that and seen the other side yeah i say well i mean don't I mean, easier said than done, but don't box yourself in. Really, really think about it's kind of like my journey, right? I, I boxed myself in for so long. And even though I had these passions of music and creative expression and, and even theater, I didn't allow myself to do it until I had the confidence. So I would, I would really ask like a young, young Arab person, you know, what, what really at the end of the day, what do you think about? And are you giving it that same time? 
as the things that you feel like you should do and what it would it look like to get support to kind of nurture those passions of yours. And I really feel like, you know, being allowing ourselves to stay kind of boxed in and in these cookie cutter occupations and lives without questioning. I'm not I'm not actually critiquing what any kind of occupation someone picks. You can be an artist and be an engineer. You know, I really believe that. But it's allowing yourself to really choose that from a place of empowerment and choose that from your gut, you know, from your belly. And that takes really people around you encouraging you. And it's also always a risk to, I think, put yourself out there in things that you are passionate about because it comes from a, uh, a place of more vulnerability and it comes from a place of you have to be brave to kind of let yourself be seen in that way. And there is more there. There isn't as much security, quote unquote, for these kind of other professions and other ways of life. But uh, I would even question if anything is secure. And um, I think paving the way for anyone requires a lot of spiritual depth and really going after this idea of, well, if I'm all for freedom and if I'm all for liberation and if that's what my community talks about, well, then I need to feel free to be who I am, too, you know, and, and not just for the community, but for myself. It's almost flipped within, I feel like, our community a lot of times where so much um, we want to please each other and we want to hold each other up. And, and oftentimes I feel like we forget to also ask ourselves as individuals um, what are ways in which we want to show up in our own lives that may be different from our community. One of the reasons behind us doing the podcast was to bring visibility to Arabs in America. That was like our one of our main goals. But of course, to give voice to every all Arabs all around the world. But we just felt like our community lacked this cohesion that I see other communities of color have, mm -hmm. primarily because we're not that large of a community here and we're spread out and in thinking about Arab artists you don't we don't really exist on the mainstream level like you have you know one-offs like French Montana and um, DJ Khaled but they don't you know what are they doing they're they're doing hip-hop and that's you don't see any of the Arabness in their music at all mm -hmm. which is their choice and it's not something every artist has to do but do you think that art has a place as a community, as an Arab community in the United States, do you think that art has a place to bring us together? And, and in doing that, like to get to that, do you think Arab artists should embrace their Arab culture and their Arab musical stylings and art stylings into their work to be able to do that so that we can be visible as like this is very clearly an Arab American artist versus this is just you know, a hip-hop artist who happens to be Arab? Mm. Okay, I'll pose it to myself. In in my integrity, um, if I were to just kind of start playing more Arabic, quote-unquote, music in order to give visibility, I don't think that would be an artistic integrity. But I think which what would would be paying homage to where I came from. And if I'm kind of asking that question, how can I pay homage to where I came from, then it appears in the music in a much more soulful way. And one of the things I struggled with for a long time was that, well, what does that mean being an Arab American artist, but I'm drawn to singing music that's categorized as neo-soul or blues or quote-unquote jazz, whatever that word means anymore. And it's it's been a, it's been a 
um, difficult journey for me to try to navigate that because on one hand, so for example, on my record, um, I end up singing uh, Keep Your Eyes on the Prize, which is a civil rights resistance song. I also sing Kaldu Kalmayes, you know, which is an Arabi folk song. I sing Toro Cambia, which is a Spanish uh, a song written by Mercedes Sosa. And I, I sing several songs that I wrote I sing uh, Billie Holiday's God Bless a Child. So right there, there's like a whole bunch of stuff going on. And for me, I, most of my songs are not going to quote unquote be directly Arabi. Like, and what even does that mean? You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with the question because I know what you're asking, but I don't think it's an easy direct answer because what I don't want to say is that, yes, everyone should, because then all of a sudden art turns into this. It's not art anymore. It's just churned out. Again, this boring stuff that just sounds like everything else. And at the same time, I feel like um, it, it, it should naturally come through if we're really wanting to have our full self as artists come forward. And that being said, if someone's an Arab-American artist and they're doing hip-hop and they're like, you know, what is, I guess I'm going to rephrase the question. What does it mean to have our Arab culture show through in that music? What does that even mean anymore? You know, and I, I think that I would challenge the notion that it has to sound like something we're familiar with. What if something new is forming? You know, what if, what if something new has to form? Because now there's been many generations of us in the States and there's new art forms being formed and we're influenced by different um, musical stylings, yet we are still uh, rooted from and we know where we come from. I think something different has to be has to be born. And I don't know what that is yet, but I'm hoping that in my music, I just I all I want to do is stand there with integrity. And when I feel like the inspiration of making sure people know that, you know, my Lebanese heritage, I'm, I'm going to have that come through musically, but it's going to be in a natural way, not in a forced way. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. You know, the thing, the thing that I mostly have been thinking is that other communities of color have, who have existed for a long time and have larger communities than we do um, in terms of just population they form their like what you're saying like forming a new sound they've done that and it's something that we can pinpoint to like mm-hmm. oh yes that's like mexicans from la this is their sound you know what i mean mm. or like puerto ricans from the bronx this is their sound mm. but arabs maybe because we don't nurture the arts as much in our communities you know maybe because we don't exist in a larger uh, you know we're not condensed in one area or maybe because it's just not we're not there yet or we you know maybe it'll happen eventually but that's just something you know I always I always think about like why aren't we in the arts why aren't we creating a new style that's just that's you know came out of the Arab community I'm not saying it has to sound Arab yeah I'm just saying why don't we have that and it's something that I really wish we did and I feel like in a way that could make if there are young Arab kids growing up here and mm. struggling with their identity and wanting to be either white or be very Arab or whatever, they're trying to figure out what they want to do. Maybe if that music existed, that cu- that musical culture existed, maybe that would help facilitate that navigation through 
who you are, where you come from, mm-hmm. like what's, you know, in what way you exist here in the United States. Yeah, I, well, I think and I think it is happening. I think like, you know, again, like eccentric was one of the in terms of in the States, not necessarily there's been a lot of hip hop outside, mm-hmm. uh, you know, obviously in the, in the Arab world. So I don't want to say it started here because that's that's not correct but um he was one of the the first the first um arab american artists doing arab hip hop so to speak meaning what do i mean by that as um infusing not just musical sounds within the hip hop but the content being very much around arab lives and arab struggles and i think also it takes time you know i think it takes time and and again like with me there it was a it was, it's hard for me. It was hard for me to look out there and not find a reflection of an Arab American artist of someone I wanted to sound like. And so I was I realized, well, I have to just do it myself. You know, I have to sound what I want to sound like. And there might not be someone else that's out there that I know of yet. But this is how we kind of shift culture. And so I think that people are doing it. We're just not maybe we don't have an amassed visibility yet, which I feel like is important, like what you're pointing to. But in the in the evolution of of culture and Arab American arts, I feel like I'm I'm hoping that we're moving toward a more diverse artistic expression. So it's not just quote unquote Arab hip hop or just classical music because I don't fit in either of those. So I'm hoping that there's um, those that are still doing in those genres are still doing their thing. But then there's also new artists coming up and. You know, we haven't been here that long. You know, I mean, I, we're most of us are first generation, right? So I think too, there's some, there has to be some patience with that as well. But also, like what you both are doing, are you are planting the seeds with those questions and kind of lights a fire with us? Like you know, like you posing that question. Now I'm going to be thinking about that more and even researching like who else is out there like is there is there another quote arab soul singer arab american soul singer like me doing their thing that may not even sound quote arabi but is because i am you know i can't take the arab you can't take the arab out of the arab and it's not going to look like um you know we might expect but that's what that's what cultural shifts are for you know and at first it's difficult for people to swallow or even recognize but that's also revolution, right? Revolution is not something that you can even recognize at first. It's those quiet moments of meaning making that we don't see until it's sprouted. I think that goes back to the point, like what we were just talking about and a very profound question by Soraya. We discussed with Nadine Nebber, Professor Nadine Nebber, about whiteness. You know, we she said we're white, but not quite um, historically in this country. Mm-hmm. And, and I think because that kind of is connected to that struggle of, okay, are we white? Are we colored? Like we experience the issues that people of color experience, yet we're labeled white in America. And we don't have one specific location where we're all condensed. And that that's something that institutionally, mm-hmm. you know, forced like Latinos and blacks to be in ghettos and communities in America. And I think that naturally art emerged from those places. So yeah. that definitely contributes yeah. for sure. Right. But the cage bird sings the cage bird His tune is heard I said his tune is heard. Okay, well, um, 
I guess I guess we could wrap up because I don't know if you want to add anything uh, or yeah, plug your yeah. stuff too. Okay, um, really, just look out for live in San Francisco County Jail. Uh, you can go to my website naimashalhub.com. Hit me up on all the the book of faces and Twitter and all those stuff. IG. Uh, be in touch with me and, and any Arab artists out there. Please write me. Ask me questions. You know, I'm here for you as well. And Lyndon Soraya, I think this is amazing what you're doing. You're just opening the platform to have these conversations that are necessary to, to shift culture so that we can invite more of ourselves and um, have more of a presence. So thank you for that. Thank, thank you for you. coming in. Thank you for listening to Arabiyat. Our theme song is by Muqata'a. The track is called Ahyat. You can follow him on soundcloud.com slash B-O-I-K-U-T-T. And you can email us at arabiyat.podcast at gmail.com. That's A-R-A-B-I-Y-A-A-T dot podcast at gmail.com. And follow us on Twitter at Arabiyat and on Facebook, facebook.com slash podcast. Let it go through
me and wash over me and touch me. Let it go through me, wash over me and touch me. Let it go through me, wash over me and touch me.